You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is Ben Mosley. Now, Ben served in the military. After getting out, he bought his first chunk of property up in Wisconsin, which props to him. I mean, that's the place to buy if you're going to. Um, But then took a job down in Louisiana. And so he actually travels pretty consistently up to Wisconsin to manage his property and to hunt up there. So I'm pretty excited to pick his brain, hear what management practices he's got going on, the types of deer, uh, the age class, the rack size, all of those improvements that he's seen since beginning his management practices and hunting on that new chunk of land. And so we're going to jump into this episode with Ben right now. Like he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today, I've got Ben Mosley. He is a Wisconsin native, but now lives down in Louisiana after serving in the military, getting a job down there doing search and rescue. Um, but this guy is a passionate whitetail hunter hunting in what some would consider the best county in the country for whitetails. Um, we're going to dive into whitetails, I mean, start to finish on this episode. So I'm pretty excited about it. Ben, thanks for hopping on, man. Hey, thanks for having me. So uh, for, for the listeners, why don't you start out by giving an intro of yourself? Maybe uh, talk about who you are, what it is about whitetails that just gets your blood boiling. Uh, so I started uh, deer hunting when I was 12. Uh, I think 2001 is when I started deer hunting. I uh, started bow hunting then too, um, right away. And the way it happened, it was funny. My dad just kind of grabbed me. He's like, hey, we're going bow hunting. And I'd, I'd shot league before a little bit when I was a kid. Um, shot a little bit. Um, I was okay. He basically set me up, say, hey, shoot within 20 yards. And then uh, one day, like I said, we just went bow hunting, like no prep or anything really. Went up on my uncle's farm, put up a blind, and that's where I ended up. Shoot, my first deer was on his his farm. Um, but I didn't really get seriously into bow hunting until I'd say my senior year in high school. 
And uh, that's when I joined the military. So there was a big six-year gap between me getting out and then really starting to pick up. I bought my farm in 2012 or 2013 when I was on a deployment. Um, started out with 38 acres, and then I bought another little adjoining piece. Um, and I keep trying to buy parcels as it comes up for sale by me, but it's like pulling teeth to find land. But yeah, there's um, a there's a lot of big players searching out land in that county. Yeah, homegrown's gotten pretty big. They're actually selling a farm. They're selling one of their oh, pieces. Really? Um, and they, I know they're starting in Minnesota and Kansas, I believe. But they run their outfitters a lot different than most outfitters I found. They run a four year cycle where they'll have hunters for three years, and then no hunters for the fourth year. Oh, okay. I think that that's a good thing. Um, that's a really good thing as far as uh, the potential of the antler size that you'll see. They're not going to start smoking a bunch of three and a half and four year, four and a half year old deer. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, it's awesome. When you leave, leave a place to rest like that, there, I mean, people don't understand just how much benefit comes from that type of thing. Um, and honestly, yep. I haven't put a ton of, um, stock in that until all of a sudden I moved out to Colorado for two years. Nobody really hunted this property here in Missouri that I've got access to. And I came back, went out late summer scouting and man, the amount of big bucks that are out here. And I'm not talking like 180 inch deer. I don't have a bunch of one sixties running around, but no. compared to what I saw before I moved, it was night and day. I mean, I'm talking going out into a field and watching seven, eight, nine bucks that are a hundred inches up to 140 all walking through. And I had never seen that in all the years I hunted it before. Um, and that was just two years that we were gone. Yeah. And some of that could just be the pressure that's yep. put on the property. Um, but I think as far as homegrown goes, it's cause the, I think their success rate's pretty high. Yeah. Everyone that goes out there shoots something. That's pretty, pretty good. I haven't seen anything posted on their social media. That's less than 140. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it makes sense as an outfitter, you, you want high success rates so that people come back or, I mean, you want, you want, uh, yeah, you just want big buck encounters and a lot of them. And the more you can facilitate that, even if you have to take a year off every, every four years, it's going to yeah. be worth it in the long run. Yeah. And I don't, I don't take years off, obviously. Um, I don't, I really can't think of very many people that do. Um, but the way I have my property is set up is I can hunt it. I, I've got certain stands where I can hunt every day and it would be very little footprint or impact on my property. So long as the wind and thermals are right, but I've got yeah. stands. I come in using a Creek and basically go right to the base of the tree, climb up, and then I can come back down. Nothing will ever see me. Nothing will ever pick up ground scent. It's, uh, I've got a couple bulletproof stands. That's cool. On my baker parcel that I can hunt. I've actually got one spot um, that's in like a little three acre patch that's in the corner of someone's driveway and uh, main road. I mean, I can watch everybody drive down the main road about 50 and I see a lot of deer there. Um, the buck that I was actually after this last season, I had an opportunity at him at 27 yards. Didn't shoot him. 
he uh, he came into the water hole and faced right at me downhill, and I drew back. I was drawn back for I don't know a couple minutes, and uh, I think he's just started to know something was up. I think he picked me out in the tree, and then uh, didn't run. He just bounded off into cover and walked away. Dang. So, and then prior to that, I had another opportunity, Adam. Um, the woods just blew up. I think it was uh, like November 8th. The woods blew up. There were bucks running all over the place, and he came through. I mean, hard nose to the ground, six, seven yards. I I had my bow in my hand already, so I drew back, but there was, he was not stopping. Yeah. Dude, so, those encounters are heartbreaking, man. You're yeah. like, it's all coming to it right now, and then all of a sudden it doesn't work out. But at the same time, I was a little happy I didn't shoot him because he looked like he was starting to get a little bit of a drop time in his uh, back left main beam. Oh, nice. So I'm like, oh, cool. I, he's going to be nice next year while opening week in a rifle season. I watched him get shot by the neighbors. There was a, uh, a hot doe in there, and he was running around. I saw him on the hillside chasing the doe. Neighbor missed him once, and then 45 minutes later, he came back. Oh, no. The same spot got shot. I'm like, well, shit, my season's done. So I loaded up the truck and drove back down to Louisiana. Yeah, what's what's that like? I mean, having such a hot spot that you've put a lot of energy and time into and figuring out the deer, having the bulletproof stands, but then living on the opposite side of the country. Well... Even though I live on the opposite side of the country, my two-week schedule is where I'm off two weeks, on two weeks, and I've got a wife that's pretty understanding. Um, I just hop on a plane, come up to Wisconsin, get my work done. And I'd say that I still have more time to do it than somebody that lives right on their property, someone that works at five, five days, two days off. Yeah. Type of no. schedule. I was just up there for six days. Um, I spent most of the time pissing around with the tractor, trying to get it fixed. Um, <laughs> but brand new tractor, I ended up having to come out and then they fixed it. Dang. The, what, what kind of work uh, have you done since you purchased it on the property? The main thing that I've done, so when I purchased that property, I could stand on one ridge and look all the way through the entire property. So I've dropped, I've dropped a lot of trees, a lot of trees, um, just going through with the chainsaw. Um, and what I like to do is I kind of layer it when I drop everything. Um, so my property is uh, kind of like a wood, like a, a lot of people would call it like a, just a secluded wood lot. Okay. I'm surrounded by fields. The woods itself is 28 acres. I've got a marsh on the east side and then uh, open egg on the west side. And then the neighbors is adjoining and it's a pretty open woodlot and more agriculture. To the south, it's all pasture. So the main thing that I had to do is thicken up the cover. Um, I'm lucky to where I never really, I don't have an issue with invasives. I've got very little buckthorn, very little bush honeysuckle that I just take care of when I walk up to it. Usually I can just pull out of the ground it's usually pretty young yeah um the i usually carry a little bottle of um uh roundup and blue dye 
for the buckthorn. Um, but the bottle, I don't have it here. It's up in Wisconsin. It's like a little roll-on bottle. It works really well for just having in your pocket and a little baggie to zap something real quick. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I would say the biggest thing that I've done is just dropped a lot of timber. Um, I've put a lot of the open fields that I have into CRP and then left. I think I've got about six acres of food on my property that I'll rotate through um, greens, beans, and corn. Oh, okay. Nice. Uh, the ag field that's around you, what, what kind of crops are they typically putting? Is it all corn? Hey. Hey, okay. I've got very little grain where I'm at that's around me. Um, I would say the closest cornfield that's actually harvested is three quarters of a mile away. And it, wow. it doesn't cover. I'd been, in, I'd been in that area when I was a kid. Um, it's actually my grandpa that leases it and does the uh, farming for it. Oh, okay. Well, that's awesome, man, to not have that kind of grain close by. I mean, that gives you a huge advantage uh, oh, on yeah. your property with putting stuff in. Uh, and then to the south of me, I can see the, I can see it, but there's uh, the farmer right next to me. He just does He has a turkey farm, but he put in uh, corn and beans just as kind of a food plot but his cover's pretty bad there and uh i lost you for a minute but this winter after they clean me up that's where they're at so they're about i don't know half a mile three quarters in that food plot but i can't imagine it's gonna last through february yeah dang man so so you've got this secluded woodlot you've done some habitat stuff and i hear that all the time this is my first chunk of land that I'm actually able to do stuff on. You know, I've put in small food plots here and there, but as far as actually creating cover or anything like that, I haven't been able to on the properties um, that I've had access to, but I hear all the time chainsaw, like that's all you need to like, if you want to make some serious improvements at a cheap price, a chainsaw is the way to go. And yeah, do, like just dropping timber, getting some more cover in there, uh, getting some more of that understory growth. Uh, promoting that like you'll you'll produce a ton of food and a ton, ton of cover all at once yeah absolutely um the only thing that i would suggest to most people before they go in there and just start dropping stuff is bring a forester in learn the tree species yeah. and take care of basins before you do that i mean you might have just a lot of young bush honeysuckle i know bush honeysuckle is an issue in missouri or um buckthorn or something like that but it's a lot easier to take care of that when it's a foot to two foot tall and just zap it right as it starts greening up with foliar spray than it is to have to go in there cut it and then treat the stump or do some kind of basil bark treatment i was lucky i didn't really have to do that yeah so a lot of red maple and deer love the tops as soon as i drop them um Actually, while I was home, that's what I was doing mostly was I uh, had a hillside that I wanted to get a lot thicker that adjoins a food plot. So I went in there, dropped a bunch of timber, and then uh, I think a day after, day after I was done, I had two, uh, two big bucks back on camera that I hadn't gotten in over a month on camera. Dang. I, uh, so when, when you're dropping this stuff, are you fully cutting it down? Are you doing hinge cutting? What, what are you doing for that? I don't like hinge cutting. 
Um, there's some tree species where I will hinge cut, um, only in certain areas. Um, so most of the time I'll just flush cut it to the ground. Um, usually about a third of the height of the diameter is what you want the stump to be. Uh, but as far as hinge cutting, the only trees that I'll hinge cut would be like an elm just cause it's got that tight fiber, um, and hinges really well. Maples tend to barber chair and tear. And then they just, they don't stay alive. Some people have had a lot of luck, but for whatever reason, the red maple that I have on mine, they do not hinge cut. Um, okay. And I'll, places where I'll do hinge cutting is like on the, on the crown of a hill um, or a point where I know deer will bed in that area. I'll hinge cut those trees just to kind of create a, a barrier screen initially until that ground cover comes back up and then usually i end up going back in there and i'll cut those hinge cuts flush the ground okay yeah so, that's that's good to know i mean i've like i said i haven't been able to do a lot of that stuff yet but this property i'm on it's got it's got a small amount of woods on it uh only like three to five acres of woods the rest had been pasture and it looks like they had done crops and like years years back yeah but the nice thing is it it creates a natural funnel so i've got big woods south of the road then i've got this long north to south finger of trees then a single tree fence row or like a single row of trees on this fence line that lead to the north and it's all corn north of me so it's probably yeah. i'd say about 160 acres of corn so i've got this natural cover um or this funnel that's cover that goes all the way up and i was pretty pumped yesterday i put out a trail camera for the first time i mean we've only been in it for a week or on this property went to put out a trail camera yesterday had four does bound out of that little woodlot and i was like yes like this is amazing i go through there there were two cedars that i found it was close to dark and so i wasn't gonna hang out in there super long um, but I found two cedars that were both too big to get my hands around that were just shredded. I mean, like three feet of them were just tore up and, uh, I'm pretty excited. We'll see what I can turn three acres into or five acres of cover into, but also there's a tractor on the property. It doesn't run yet, but hopefully it will. Uh, I'm hoping to do some, some work with that. I'm, I'm just pumped, man. I'm super excited. So I love talking to people who have done work on properties already and had success with it. How much water do you have around you? So a lot of it is wet weather water. So, you know, if it's, if it's spring and raining like crazy, there's a lot of cattle ponds that will hold water. Uh, there's Creek systems that will flood. Um, but in the, in the summer, most of it dries up. And so that's one of the things that I'm going to be doing is putting in water out here and i've got some guys that do a lot of dirt work and they've already talked to me about it one i like to frog gig i like to duck hunt and so i do want to put a body of water in out in one of these yeah. fields but also uh from when the previous owner ran cattle on it all the way on the far west side only about 40 yards north of the cover are two water spigots on a fence line with big old troughs right there so there's water all the way out to the far corner of the property and uh i think that i could solve the water issue pretty quickly out here yeah that's awesome um 
I hunt over a lot of water holes. I do water tanks. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the company Earthlines. Yeah. But uh, they're actually in Chippewa Falls, which is fairly close to me. Um, I put those in. Put two of the 80-gallon tanks in. Um, before, I was doing the cattle watering holes, um, like 100 gallons. Um, they did all right. They, I just like the way the Earthlines look more. And yeah. I don't have to throw a stick in them. The rodents will, uh, they can climb up the side of the earth blinds. And I've put sticks in before and then had deer come in and knock that stick out. And then I go back and there's three or four dead mice floating in there. And that's never fun. No, no, that would suck. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to check that out. Cause there's, excuse me, there's a, a lot of opportunity to get water in. In fact, one spot in the woods it was completely dried up when I, when I went back to look at it, but it looks like it used to be a wet weather pond. But yeah, now it's all full of leaves. I don't know what it would take for that to actually hold water, but I'll definitely check out. <clears throat> wow. Excuse me. I'll definitely check out that water tank. Yeah. Um, the other thing being in where you're at in Missouri too, the other thing that I would consider as far as, shallow natural well, i wouldn't call them natural but like a dug-in pond is ehd I, I haven't really experienced ehd where i'm at yeah i think i lost you <clears throat> you there yeah i lost you for a minute oh okay um yeah ehd it's definitely a concern down here you know if it's stagnant water that's that's the number one yeah. issue but if you can continue to keep the water fresh or moving somehow, um, you know, the, the threat of that, that goes down significantly. It's actually the mud where those midges breed. Oh, the, the mud on the, on the edges uh, and all that. Water starts receding. Um, you start getting that cracked mud and those midges will stay in that, in the uh, mud there. And that's where they'll breed and become more prevalent. Yeah. So that's why I've stayed with the plastic water tanks is I, if I can avoid having EHD in my area, I'm going to do everything that I can to avoid it. Man, that's really interesting. I didn't, I guess I didn't realize that it was more the mud. You know, I, I would always hear on the dry, dry seasons where the water would recede. I, I just, I don't know if I just assumed it or what, that it was the, the fact that when the water recedes, you know, you're not having it coming and going out of a pond and so it just was stagnant but it's actually the mud on the edges yeah yeah that's actually where they're where they're living and breeding dang that's that's great to know so yeah that's another big benefit of the the plastic water tanks and uh i know earth blinds did release a bigger tank okay i think it's considerably bigger they're 600 bucks so they're not cheap but really, when you look at having an excavator or a um, track loader or something coming in to dig you a pond, I mean, that's still going to cost three, four hundred bucks to dig it yeah. um, if it's off. And then that, that's not even guaranteed to work. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard of people having a pond put in and it doesn't hold water. And then yeah. they try putting liners in. And the deer step on the liners and then they put holes in the liners and then they're um 
I can't remember what the stuff's called, but it's like uh, like some sort of gravel. It's not gravel, but they'll put that down and pack it, and that doesn't always work. I would just rather use the uh, the big water holes. I mean, the earth blinds are, I don't know, a little over a foot deep. You've got the the sides that the rodents can climb up, like I talked about. They're pretty easy to put in. If you're uh, willing to spend a little bit of time with a shovel or if you've got a tractor with a front end loader. And so they're pretty yeah, that, durable. That'd be worth checking it or looking into for sure. I know around here, a lot of the farmers uh, have cattle ponds that they've put in. Um, luckily, the, the earth down here, there's a ton of clay in the soil as soon as you get down just a little ways. And so that seems to be what a lot of them do. They'll, they'll just kind of push out from the center, they'll get into the clay, and then that ends up being the top layer of the whole pond. And then once it's full, I mean, it <clears throat> it stays full pretty well. Um, you know, there's definitely some that you drive by where you're like, they didn't do something right because it's bone dry at the bottom of it come June and July. What, uh, what, do you have, what do you have going on now with your property? Or actually, let's back up. So you bought your property. How many years have you had it now? Uh, 10 years, 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. So over the course of that 10 years with the habitat improvement with, you know, being able to put the time in up there and then having the time to get out and hunt, what have you seen like success wise with the deer herd, with the numbers, with the age structure? Uh, what, what has that been like for you? Uh, huge. It went from the winter time, not having a single deer track in it very little deer in it in general to um, now I'm the person that's killing the biggest deer in the area pretty consistently every year. Dang. So last year I didn't kill anything. That was my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> at least, uh, at least you can own it. Yeah. But I mean like these, these two back here are my last two. Um, my wife doesn't like having a lot of head mounts in the house, so the rest are hanging up in the garage. I've got some still in Wisconsin. There's some other stuff up in the attic, but I've killed a, I think I've killed a buck every year, but 16 and 19. Okay. It's really busy with school, and uh, 19, I just had a, I mean, I just started working here at Bristow, and and actually that buck right there i'd hit that one in the corner yeah i shot it <laughs> in 19 um hit him high like i was i was already calling the taxidermist <laughs> and uh like day before rifle season so he got away i'm just like great that, that sucks i mean i mean as soon as i saw the arrow hit and i saw the arrow kind of flip and like that was a really bad shot Tracked him, uh, probably tracked him for a few hundred yards and then lost blood. I could tell right away it was just a, looked like a muscle hit blood. Yeah. And 2020 is when I ended up killing him on Halloween. Ended up, I actually ended up switching stands twice because I knew what he was going to do. I started out on the uh, west side of my property, kind of central. And uh, first thing in the morning, as I, well, first I'm walking in and I got in late. And I looked down into the 
um, hay field that borders that western side and I see a whole bunch of just figures of deer so I'm crawling on the top of this hill I've got a bunch of CRP up on top and I'm using the tractor trail crawl to the stand get up the stand and about as soon as I get up the stand and I'm saddled I look down and I see a big body deer put my binoculars on it it's it's him standing there I'm like oh shit okay cool can I swear on this is that oh yeah yeah you're good man all right just making sure um and he uh he went up into one of the really thick bedding areas budged a doe and a fawn around and i texted one of my buddies i'm like i think i know where he's gonna go i think he's gonna go right past the stand and then i'd hit him in before so i get out of my stand and uh i run west and i've got a big hill on that side and i basically all the way around the property using the terrain as cover and I get in that stand. We've also got 19 mile an hour winds that day. So I can pretty much make as much noise as I want to make and I'll be perfectly fine. Yes. I get up that stand and I don't, 20, 30 minutes later, he comes through that bedding area, but he, he's skirting the stand. He's, I mean, he is like, there's no way I'm going up there again. I'm not getting <laughs> shot. I'm at him. He didn't hear it. Um, but he's about 70 yards away and he, um, Goes out, cuts the corner of the hayfield, goes over on the neighbors. And I'm like, well, I know where he's going to go because um, a friend of mine had said, hey, I just saw, I saw a huge buck cut across the hayfield and cut through your small patch. I'm like, okay. So I get out of my stand, and just before I walk out of the woods, I'm like, I better glass the neighbor's wood line and just make sure he's not standing in there looking this way. As soon as I put my binoculars up, I see his head turn. It was about a hundred yards walking away down the fence line. I'm like, okay, well, 19 mile an hour winds. He's in real cover. I just started following him. Just started walking along my fence line and the neighbor's fence line. And I'm like, I know what trail he's going to come. And uh, he got pretty close to that trail and he started turning like he's going to go towards it. And I ranged the tree that right by the trail. And I'm like, okay, 48 yards. And we're down kind of in a in a bottom, so the wind's just blowing over the top. He steps out, hops out of the um, thick cover into the hayfield, and I shot him. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Gotta be kidding me! <laughs> when I wounded him, I shot him at like twelve yards. I mean, I was just like, you screwed up like a chip shot. And then when I killed him, I shot him at forty-eight. So I was like, okay. Not only 48, but like getting down, like, oh, it's windy enough. I'm gonna, I know right where he's going. You, I mean, what a wild story to actually like end up circling back and connecting with that deer. It was nuts, like, it was absolutely nuts. And then, uh, come to find out he was shot at the night before, really. Oh, yeah, gosh, it about three miles north of me and shot at him and shot right under him. Dude, that, I mean, that, that has got to be one of the worst feelings as a hunter, aside from like shooting, wounding and knowing that it died, but like never recovering an animal, like shooting at one, missing it. And then the very next night it getting killed by somebody else. I mean, obviously you love how that story ended, but I'm sure that kid was not, not thrilled. I mean, I was at the other end of that this year. And like I said, it was completely my fault. Or yeah. like that's completely my fault. Um, I mean, I I could have shot 
feel like my setup, my arrow setup, I could have shot him. Um, but I was just thinking, oh, well, he's going to be bigger next year. He's yeah. made it this long. Nobody's killed him. He'll be fine. And then just sitting in the box line, I do not take gun season seriously at all. I basically go there just to make sure I don't have trespassers. And I've got my nephew with me, and we're in the big box line. I call it the nap shack because that's what I do. <laughs> I'm just sleep eater. And uh, my nephew, five-year-old nephew is the one that saw me. He goes, there's a deer. This deer is like two, 300 yards away. And I'm like, oh, damn. Like, I'm pretty sure that's him. I wasn't really able to to confirm for sure that it was him. But just assuming, because I knew he was betting over there and on mine, I'm like, yeah, that's definitely him. Neighbor shoots at him. I see the doe running around. I see him running around. I see two other smaller body deer following behind him. Like, I hope they just go over the bluff and don't come back. And 45 minutes later, I hear the neighbor shoot again. And didn't see the deer on the ground. Um, but then the guy's wife with the side-by-side -side came over and I saw four times up in the back and I'm like, I think that's him. Go over to the neighbors and neighbors like, oh yeah, you can go take a look at it. It's in the back of my truck. And I'm like, first I'm like, oh cool. It, it's not him. It's that, uh, it's that other, I was thinking that it was, uh, this bully buck that we'd had. Cause all I saw was like short times. Well, then as soon as I stuck my head over the top, I'm like, okay, that's him. Oh man. So like I said, went home. Yeah. That's, that's a bummer. I got to ask. Okay. So that buck back in the corner, how wide is that deer? Cause I mean, I can just, it, it's not huge on my screen, but it looks so wide. Do uh, honestly, I've never measured it. I've really? never, I, I don't score any of my deer. I'm, hang on, I'll go get a tape measure real quick. Yeah, get a tape measure. For for the people listening, I mean, I say it's not that big. I'm saying on my screen, the actual image size isn't very big. But that deer looks like it's four inches outside the ears on each side. And I, I mean, I've seen some wide bucks, but that thing is just, oh my gosh. And now that you're walking back to it, seeing the character of it, whoo, I, I love those big square frame bucks that are just wide. <clears throat> Get them out like this. Oh, this is nerve wracking to watch. I'm slowly turning. This. All right. He's off. Holy cow, dude. Oh man. For for those that are watching this, you're gonna have to go on or listening to this, you're gonna have to go on and uh check this out on YouTube because that is a monster buck. He is 20 and three quarter. 20 and three quarter? Three quarter on the inside. Dude, what what a stud. So and then I don't know if you can see this back here but how this curled around oh my this, gosh he was uh he was bigger the year that i hit him dude i i i don't know what i would do if that deer walked in front of me i mean i would hopefully shoot it but that is a stud buck man
congrats. And that's awesome that you got, got to connect with him the next year. It was uh it was a pretty fun hunt. And then when I texted my buddy that I was texting, he's like, you, you what? I'm like, yeah, I just shot him off the ground. <laughs> oh, is that the only buck you've shot off the ground like that? I mean, I can't imagine that's, that happens very often. That's the only buck I've shot out of a tree stand. Oh, really? Most out of ground blinds. Oh, okay. But I mean, like actually on foot going after him. Yeah. But, spot. Yeah. That's the only, I mean, that if any other day, I think, I don't think I would have done that. Cause I would have been like, I'm just going to bust this deer. Yeah. But as, as it was, I mean, you could just hear that wind tearing up over the top of the hill and I couldn't even hear myself really walking. So I wasn't really too concerned about it. I'm, I got in the tree, um, the first with tree that I'd gotten in and it was a little bit smaller and I'm up in the tree. I'm like, this is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> really? You're just getting ready to launch out of the tree or for the tree to snap off yeah. of you in it. Um, and, uh, I should take a picture of that tree and send it to you. And you'd be like, why did you put a stand in that tree? That is, but it, it's that stands getting pulled this year, but it's actually rotten right underneath the stand. And I didn't know that at the time that I'd hung it in that red maple. And so going to be pulled and moved back. I found another tree. It's going to be about five yards away from it, but yeah, that was a, that's, that's the stupid stand. <laughs> the stupid stand the nap shack and the stupid stand i like I, I hear people's creative names for their bucks i like your names for your stands and your hunting spots <laughs> my dad uh, i had him hunt out of uh that year that i shot that buck and uh he came down and was like i'm not hunting in that stand anymore he's like that is way too high i'm like that stand is not high but it's on a hillside, a really steep hillside. So you're up it and it looks like you're a hundred foot up. All right, guys, if you've been listening to the podcast, I'm sure you've heard me talk about the helicopter hog hunt that I did down in Texas. Now I went down there with rogue Texan outfitters and Landon and Brandon, the owners put us on the animals. We killed 150 pigs and 19 coyotes just from the air. On top of that, we went out thermal hunting at night and got up close and personal to more hogs. I didn't have to worry about bringing guns or ammunition because all of that was provided for me and it is to this day the most action-packed day of hunting I've ever had. I stand by what I've said in the past and that's that helicopter hog hunting is the funnest thing that you can do with pants on. In addition, they offer sandhill crane hunts and predator calling, so if you're looking for the most exciting hunt of your life and something that you're going to want to come back and do year after year, go check out roguetexan.com and book your hunt today. Yeah. I don't, I, I never hang high in stands. I just, I'm not that guy. I don't care to be super far up. I mean, my stand, my average stand height is probably between 12 and 16 feet, I would guess. Or like, even yeah. when I, even when I sit in my saddle, I don't go super high up and I've just never been that guy. I've got guys, I had one guy who came out and I was like, yeah, dude, you can come out and hunt. I don't think he's killed a deer in Missouri or had at that point. And so I was like, dude, put a stand up. There's this like four-way fence crossing uh, that makes just an, uh, dissects the property into four different quadrants. It's a creek system that runs through it. I was like, there's cattle that come through all the time. Like, I don't see a ton of deer activity right there, but I do know that they use it. But the cattle all day long are running in and out of it. I go down there to pull some stands. I think it was like two years ago. 
that joker had to stand like 35 feet up in this tree i'm talking like you're passing multiple crotches where like giant branches are coming out and it gets to the point where this tree's like six inches around and he's got his stand hanging in there i climbed about 25 feet up and i was like i'm not doing this i'm not pulling the stand out and so i climbed back down and made my buddy go up and take it out the rest of the way i'm not i'm not that guy man i'm not getting up to the top that stand really isn't hung high but it's at the top of a hill yeah Uh, it's only about 20 22 feet up and most of my stands are in that 20 22 feet but when you're hunting like midway down a hill you got to get high enough for the wind and you got to kind of get out of the sideline too or you just you're asking for bad news but my oh, wife sure. is uh convinced i'm gonna die of non-natural causes <laughs> like last last or last spring and summer for me was just a bad year in may i but yeah end of may just before my wedding i got hit by lightning at work yeah, we'd flown out to a, a platform to do a medevac, and we landed. We were flying in weather that we just should not have been flying in. And I'm in the back, and I'm just like, this is fucking stupid. This is fucking stupid. And the pilots are like, well, we're in it now. And I'm like, yeah, I realize we're in it now. And we land on this ship to get this guy off. And, like, as soon as we land, um, my boss, is he's, he was the crew chief that day, and I was the swimmer. And then we have a medic on board and two pilots and we land and a lefty pilot's like, hurry, hurry up, go get the passenger. And I, I look out the door and I'm like, yeah, John, the uh, storm, it's going to hit us in like 10 seconds. We don't have time. And uh, right seat pilot's like, we got to spin the aircraft back up or we're going to get blown off the ship. And we just get hit with like 60 mile an hour winds. And uh, at one point, the aircraft starts listing and it's sliding across the deck. And luckily, in our right seat pilot that day, he he saved the aircraft and everybody on board. And he's basically flying this aircraft on the deck. He turned it into the wind, was flying it on the deck. And then uh, to make matters worse, the ship had to turn to get so that it wasn't broadside in the wind. And that's when we had started listing really bad. And uh, finally, it lets up enough, and we get off the aircraft. And I don't remember what – I don't know what was going through the chief's head, but he went to the baggage compartment to grab something. I'm like, dude, what the fuck? I'm like, let's just get off the deck. And, like, right close the cabin door, we get hit. And, like, have you ever hit a – touched an electric fence before? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that pop that you hear? That's exactly what it was like. And uh, I just kind of hunched up pretty good and uh, looked over my right shoulder. I didn't get it as bad as the other two guys. And they're both on the deck. Like they, they got dropped, but they came to because it was just flashover. It wasn't a direct hit. And they go running off. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, we, we were the ones there to medevac a patient. And we ended up being the patients and getting. <laughs> the Lafayette General and they're like wait what you guys are the medical crew and now you're the ones here getting checked out <laughs> oh my gosh man how wild and yeah I would imagine you know like you're flying out in some nasty nasty stuff I've got a I've got a buddy who does uh search and rescue he's a he's up well he used to be up on Kodiak uh for the Coast Guard and he okay. was a res- yeah he was a rescue diver up there and an instructor 
uh and he had stories like that but i have never heard a story where he got electric or got struck by lightning while trying to save other people what's his name his name is andrew last uh name. last name gosh why can't he married oh my gosh he married a messer i we knew his wife a lot better than him she actually introduced us to him i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to get back to you on that one yeah, because I, I actually work with a lot of ex-Coast Guard swimmers that were um, – well, one of them was up in Kodiak that's still there. He was Kodiak. Oh I'm trying to think where he got stationed now because he was up there for several years, and he they actually invited us. That's the only reason we had ever gone to Alaska uh, is because we went – his sister um, his sister was good friends with my wife in high school, and then – uh, they ended up getting married. He got stationed up there. And I mean, they're freaking awesome. Like he got his pilot's license. They bought a plane. They've got Husky or a Husky. And now they've got uh, twins. So um, yeah, super cool dude. But he had some wild stories from up there. Name's not Jason McGrath, is it? No, no. His name's Andrew and his wife's name is Taylor and her maiden name was messer and i can't think of what their last name is for some reason that story it just sounds really familiar because we had a we've had three four or five ex-coast guard swimmers that have been from kodiak and uh one of the guys jason he came back to the states while his wife was finishing school for a pa she finished, and then he's like, I can't wait to go back to Alaska. And they went up to Alaska. So that's where they're living now. He's like, the hunting is the best hunting I've ever had. And that's what I keep hearing. Another guy who lived in Oregon, he's like, yeah, when I was stationed in Kodiak, he's like, the best hunting I've ever had. So, and they're like, their star cases are nuts. Like, yeah, still works with us now. Uh, Scott, he's on uh, Coast Guard Alaska and Deadliest Catch a few times. He's like, dude, those those shows are such bullshit. He's like, we went out one day, and I, I actually remembered seeing the Deadliest Catch um, show. He'd gotten hoisted, and the weather was really bad, like it always is out in the Bering Sea, and he swung into a Connex box, and he's like, yeah, we went down there, and the dude's dead. I mean, this isn't his, like, first rodeo. Like, seeing bad stuff is normal for this guy. Is like, whatever. Um, I think his first call was like uh, the TWA flight that exploded in New Jersey. So he comes back, gets hoisted back up, and uh, the takes his helmet off because he's sweating. And uh, the production team made it look like he was crying. <laughs> oh, no. He's like, are you serious? He said he called the producer. He was like, what the heck? Yeah, sorry. It wasn't my call. Somebody else did it. Whatever. But yeah, no, just yeah, nuts. That's rough. It it is cool up there in Alaska though. And a lot of those uh flight guys and the rescue crews, they they're big into hunting. And it's funny because you walk down the hall and you see all this stuff from like the Guardian, you know, the Kevin Costner, Ashton Kutcher um movie where they're where he's training to be uh search and rescue. Uh and then you go down this hall and it's like all of the animals that these guys have killed 
on Kodiak yeah. and all throughout Alaska. And I mean, I'm talking there's bears, there's mountain goats, there's deer, there's moose, elk, all their big fish that they've caught. And they've got like vacuum sealers in there. I'm like, you guys are awesome. Like, this is my kind of crew, not to mention you guys are flying all the time. So you probably see where all the best animals and hunting is on the island. And they're like, oh, yeah, dude, trust me, we're all taking inventory. Like, we can't hunt the day after flying, but we're definitely keeping tally of where all the animals are that we see on a regular basis. Yeah, that guy, Scott, that I was telling you about, he he did over 20 years Coast Guard, but his description of, like, doing this job, I mean, we act like children all the time. Yeah. But he's like, he's like, dude, doing this job is like being in fifth grade and going to recess all day. He's like, because <laughs> I mean, it's, it's such a close knit community. You just, you get to screw around. And like, when I left the military, I was worried I was going to get fired. I'm like, I'm going to say something to somebody or do something really stupid. And I'm going to get fired real fast. And luckily I, I got picked up at this place and it's all the same people. You're like, man, you guys have bad mouths. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm keeping my cussing down to the bare minimum. Hey, listen, like, we just uh, we just poured concrete in our shop today, so I've been hearing it all day long. It's it. I'm no stranger to it. <laughs> I've got plenty yeah. of guy friends, and I've worked construction enough that uh, I can I can handle it. Yeah, that's something I've never done. I've never poured concrete. I've hung drywall and mudded, and that uh, there's a lot of effort is dropped when i'm doing that i i saw a uh comedy thing online i think it was on instagram the other day this guy was doing stand-up comedy and he's like man if you walk by a construction site and you hear hear the construction workers and they're like oh shoot gosh darn it oh oh geez this stinks he's like that place is coming down do not trust the work that they do he's like the more they cuss the better job they are at building or the better job they do at building. I'm like, hey, that that's probably pretty accurate. I've seen that same skit. I know exactly which one you're talking about. Yeah, it was it was good. I got a kick out of it. Uh, back to whitetail hunting. Uh, yeah. What what bucks do you have? Uh, you know, obviously your buck that you're going after, he got shot. Or do you have a a good group of up and comers that you've been keeping track of? Yes. So I had a three and a half year old um, that I let go multiple times. He's probably 140 inch, uh, three and a half year old, very clean 10 point. Uh, on my Instagram, I've got a video of him walking right underneath me. Um, but then uh, the neighbor messaged me because I had this really short time to eight point bully buck that was just absolute jackass. I mean, he was pushing everything out. I had a triple beam buck that just disappeared. Um, and then it was just him, that three and a half year old. Um, and then the buck that got shot. Well, the day that he ran by me at like six or seven yards, I'm pretty sure that bully buck kicked his ass. And uh, he disappeared for about 10 days. And uh, like I was getting that bully buck on camera nonstop. And I, oh, I had another eight point in there too. That was okay. But when that bully buck showed up, he was the only one on camera. I mean, he, he was ugly. He, he just, not impressive. I was like, I don't want to shoot this guy. And I went and talked to the neighbor and he's like, 
He's like, my wife is shooting that buck because I don't want to wrap my tag around it. He's like, I really hope she kills it. And uh, he texts me after gun season. He's like, look what I found. And it was that bully buck's dead head. I'm like, oh, thank God. I'm like, the dead. And then uh, shortly after he found that, that triple D and buck showed back up. I finally got a picture of him. Um, and then I got a really big 10 pointer that showed up on camera. I mean, 160 inch 10 point, super clean. He's on camera um, a bunch of times now. And then that three and a half year old. So next year I'll have, I think I'll have a good lot to pick from. I'm really hoping that triple beam shows up more like he did uh, last, the season before last. He was a three and a half year old, super clean eight, but he had, he started to get that unicorn coming out of the middle of his head. I would have shot him if I had the opportunity, but he's just a huge body. I was calling him tank because every time I'd see him, I'd see his body and I'm like, that looks like a baby cow running through the woods. And sure enough, that every time I put my binoculars on, I'm like, yeah, that's him. So, and the neighbors to the south of me, they'd see him standing in their, in their uh, pasture right by the turkey barns all the time. All the time. So, when he disappeared, I'm like, where did he go? And then about a neighbor, neighbor about a mile and a half away, is like, hey, is this that buck you're looking for? I'm like, I'm like oh, so he's over there now. I'm like, great. Like, that bully buck's got to go. Yeah. Dang, it's crazy. It, it's it's awesome and crazy to see the deer interactions and how socially uh, things play out on a property. Because I had never seen yeah. that. You know, like, I, I would put cameras out, and I'd get crappy pictures way back in the day when cameras first came out. And then I hadn't really done anything with it. I bought some, like, real cheap ones from Walmart for a little while. And then finally I got some that take good video. And I was like... Yeah sweet this is awesome i'm gonna go and i'm gonna go and pull cards they send <clears throat> they send pictures of my phone but not the videos and so i'll go back and look and then watching these bucks come in and it really it's wild you see all of these younger less dominant bucks just scatter and the big dominant ones will just come and push them all around and it's pretty wild um especially you know as soon as that velvet starts to drop it gets, it just amplifies. And then obviously once they go into the rut, things get really crazy, but like just the, just the feeding structure, like they'll come in to feed. And if that buck wants to eat there, it's going to eat there and everything else better move out of the way. And I've seen it with does too. I mean, I've got plenty of videos of does rearing up on their hind legs, you know, kick, kicking the crap out of a couple, uh, yearlings or younger bucks, like get out of here. It's my turn to eat. Yeah. And I've, I've found, uh, it really has a lot to do with that deer's personality. And I feel like the other deer will know like, Hey, that guy's okay. That guy's a jackass. Yeah. Like the buck I was after, he didn't seem to be real aggressive. And I've got a lot of pictures of him sparring with younger year and a half, two and a half year old deer. I mean, he, I mean, without a doubt, he would kick the shit out of those deer and they'd be gone. But, uh, he just didn't seem to be like that. But that every time I get a picture of that stupid bully buck, there'd be no other deer around. There might have been a deer a few minutes before, but as soon as they saw him coming, they're gone. Man, that's so it's cool. I love I love that side of hunting. I love like everything that goes into it. But uh you had mentioned there's a three and a half year old, you've got a bunch of other 
deer coming up that you're going to keep a close eye on and some that you would have shot if you had an opportunity. What do you have like a set spoken written structure of what you're going after or what the criteria is that they have to meet? Um, are you looking for like a four and a half year old deer or, or older or a certain size? Usually four and a half or older and kind of whichever deer that I get most obsessed with is usually what I, do. and then I go after usually one, one deer, um, is what I've started to do. Um, deer that I killed him, it was either him or that unicorn buck that I was telling you about, the one with the triple beam, um. And it just, the way it worked out is he came by like point blank and I wasn't going to let him go. So he's got super tall brows. I don't know if you can see that from there, but. I can see, I mean, I can see it next to that G2 on his left side. Let's see. His brow time. His brow times are like eight or nine inches tall. I got a. I'm going to show you a picture on here. The listeners aren't going to be able to see it, but if anybody is watching this YouTube video, they're obviously going to see it. This buck showed up on my camera. The, the 30 minutes after the close of season this year, look at, hopefully it comes through on here. Look at the brow tine on that thing. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) That's I'm like, dude, that's got to be a 12-inch brow tine. I mean, it sticks up. He's got a fork G2, and it sticks up just as tall as it. And uh, yeah. the when I get the camera pictures sent to my phone, it doesn't come through super clear, right? So, like, it doesn't come through in 4K or, you know, 1080 or whatever the unit of measurement is, however many pickle, pixels. And then, uh, so when I go and pull the cards, I get it in the full quality and that that buck was about 50 yards from the camera during during the evening and so i couldn't tell until i went and pulled it and i was like oh crap that's a good buck i've never seen that buck before i don't know where he came from uh but yeah he's smart he definitely is i mean like i said never saw him before never had pictures and then uh season ended 30 minutes before he showed up for the first time yeah um we actually had a buck a lot like that this year. He showed up sometime in November. I run all Cuddy Link cameras. Oh, yeah. Um, bell cams. That's, I have to do that living down here. I want to know what's going through. I want to know if I've ever got anybody trespassing, which I did for the first time. I had someone trespassing this year. Um, that got nipped in the butt real quick. All I did was send a picture of it to the neighbor, and the neighbor's like, yeah, here's the guy's phone number. <laughs> like okay oh. but um yeah that buck showed up on my uncle's farm um which i have permission to hunt but i set it up just for him and my cousin to hunt my uncle's got als so he probably only has this season maybe next year left so i was kind of leaving it alone to him and monster eight pointer came through um the other neighbor he said that he saw him um it's like dude this deer is huge and then uh, we had this nine point four and a half year old nine point another big fighter bully kick the shit out of him never came back while the neighbor south of my uncle shot that buck um opening day and tank of an eight pointer i mean he's like 150 inch eight point i mean math 
his bases are like that big around. Gosh, man. I, that's the amazing thing. Not that like every property has those deer, but when you're in that part of the country, I mean, Wisconsin leads the country every year in Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young entries, uh, all time they lead it. And then once you get into certain counties in Wisconsin, it's just lights out. And it's not like that buck. There's bucks like that around every tree. People get that misconception. Like everybody's shooting booners every single year. Like you can get a property to the point where you've got a higher chance of it. But the wild thing is there's people on public land. Like there's a chance that you go out on public land and you come across an absolute tank and their bodies are big. Their antlers are big. Like we, uh, we hunted up there for waterfowl not this past season, but two seasons ago. And we were over on the Lake Michigan side of the state uh, for people who don't know Wisconsin very well, the east side of the state. And we had these guys from Tennessee that came up to hunt with us. And we were driving around scouting fields for the evening hunt. And there were just some does out in the field. And they're like, dude, those are the biggest deer we've ever seen. And we're like, wow. their, their bodies aren't small. I'm like, well, if you look, I said, those three are yearlings. That one's a mature doe. And they're like, wait, those are yearlings? Like, those are bigger than our five-year-old deer down in Tennessee. And people just don't understand. I mean, they're big, big body deer down or up there. They're down here in, uh, like, southern Louisiana are, like, dogs. Like, they're little. But you also don't see deer hit on the side of the road down here. We see, like, later spring, I'm going to see alligators hit on the side of the road all the time. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I would uh, take Wisconsin hunting over Louisiana hunting. I know they produce some good bucks down there, but the, just the weather and the the elements that you're hunting in, I dude, I don't want to be pouring sweat and getting tore up by bugs all the time when I'm out bow hunting. I would much rather be cold. I have never hunted down here. I work down here, and like we have like mutant mosquitoes on our flight line in Galliano. Dude, they bite through our flight suit. I'm like, what the hell? (laughs) Funny because we have another base just on the other side where we did. The base closed down, but mechanics would come on. Like, I don't know what's what's wrong with mosquitoes here, but they're different. These things are man eaters. Like, yeah, but we'll get in the aircraft. You basically like get in the aircraft and you just slam the door shut and you're like, come on, get the blades spinning, get up in the air so we can open the door and shoot these things out. I'm just picturing it like the new Jurassic Park movie flying in a helicopter and these giant mosquitoes are just like trying to take you out of the air. Uh, my like my first experience down in Louisiana, there's uh, we had a pilot here who's a native to Louisiana and I'm I'm walking back down the dirt road and I sit down in the grass to kind of look in the uh bayou or spillway, I don't know what it's called. It's like a, a ditch and I'm looking for alligators in it. The grass is mowed, and he drives by, and he goes, dude, you are nuts. I'm like, why? There's not going to be any snakes here. Because they give you a briefing on uh, poisonous snakes in the air. I'm like, there's not going to be any snakes here. I'm like, the grass is mowed. He's like, yeah, there's other things other than uh, snakes around here, and he just drives off. Well, I get up and walk into my Leeds trailer, and I was talking about a training flight we were going to go on, and I felt something like sting me, and I slapped my neck. Well, then they all started biting me fire ants oh i didn't know what i didn't really have any interaction with fire ants before until i came down here 
And I, then I just started swatting myself all over the place. And Pete's from Florida, so he knew what they were. So he's laughing at me. He's like, yeah, you kill one, they send off a signal to the rest, and then they all bite you. And it's like, damn, like this place sucks. Dude, yeah, I'm out, man. The South is just weird, dude. Everything wants to bite you down there. Bite you, eat you, or kill you. Yep. That's everything down here wants to do. I'm like, yeah. And my my wife is from here. So there's like no convincing her to move. And now she's established in her dental practice here. So I'm like, yep, okay, well, I guess I have no say so. Dude, are so you worried? Are you worried about your kids having the weirdest accents on the planet? Like you've got Wisconsin and Louisiana. Like th- that's she gonna bad accent until she's around her family members, and then you just hear it. <laughs> then you womp rat come out, and I'm just like, oh my god. <laughs> that's awesome i call her swamp she's like do not call me that and i'm like why she's like it's like it if you look it up it means hooker i'm like huh like okay (laughs) dude that's hilarious it's funny man there are certain terms that that come up so i uh i made it i made a tiktok video like way early on when my wife was getting me into tiktok and telling me like hey social media is how you're going to promote this podcast right and so i made this video and i said like oh check out my wife she's super hot whatever and i mean like the video was i think it was uh me walking in she was getting ready with her makeup and i go do any of you look at your wife and just go damn it damn it and uh and then the hashtags on it was like my wife is hot hashtag hot wife and a bunch of people were like, dude, don't, is your wife really a hot wife? I'm like, yeah, dude, I think she's really hot. <laughs> and they're like, do you have any idea what that means? I'm like, no. And they're like, look up on Urban Dictionary, hot wife. And I mean, mil- literally like 1.2 million views on this video, 150,000 comments, and everyone's talking about hot wife. And so I go on Urban Dictionary and I look it up and it's like, a woman who has multiple partners with her husband's consent. And I'm like, Oh shoot. Okay. Uh, well now I know how to get my videos to pop off really well. Just tag everything with hot wife. Uh, but also there's a lot of people who are curious now if we swing that way. Yeah. Well, I think I saw that. I think I saw that video and I kind of remember seeing that hashtag. I'm like, he might not know what that means. (laughs) Definitely (laughs) did not know what that meant. Yeah. I'm like, dude, how are you just going to take a phrase like hot wife and throw that meaning on it? I, there's probably more people like me that don't know what yeah. it means than do. Yeah. No, I saw some, like when you were first starting out, I saw some of your videos. I'm like, Hey, we should, we should do this. And she's like, yeah, no, she's, <laughs> way, she's just too bougie. She likes her, like her space and big house and expensive stuff. <laughs> I just, I can't see her to ever live in a, like an RV or anything like that. Like my parents have a really nice trailer. Nope. (laughs) That's funny. My wife, uh, she always, she always gives me a hard time about that. She's like, if you would have told me years ago that I would have dead squirrels and rabbits and deer heads hanging on my walls and things in my freezer, I would have called you crazy. When I first met her, she was a hip hop dance instructor. I'm talking like high top Nikes like one sweat pant leg rolled up. I mean, really? she, she, for real, a hundred percent, man. And 
she's like, I would have, I would have called you crazy if you said I was going to go hunting or camping in Alaska with grizzly bears or eating venison, eating frog legs. And, uh, yeah, she, she is not even close to the same person that she was when we first got together. There's no way I could get my wife to do that. Like she just zero desire, which I'm fine with because this is my hobby. Um, I was married once before and I'd gotten her into it. And then I realized that it kind of sucked, but I mean, there are some women that really like to do it. And I think my ex-wife just did it just to try it. And it, uh, it didn't go over too well. So now it's wife number two. I'm like, do you want to hunt? No. Okay, fine. Okay. So <laughs> I tell, I tell all my friends that I'm like, I, I want my wife to like hunting, but not love it. And they're like, yeah. what do you mean? I'm like, I still want to be able to do it. If she loves it, that means she's doing it all the time. And I'm at home and uh, she does. She, she enjoys getting out there. And I think the number one thing that she, she'll, she'll see like, <clears throat> I guess like the huntress people on social media and it's not even necessarily like that. That's what they're on there for, but she'll see a cute girl on Instagram with a buck. And she's like, Oh, I want to be that. Like, I want to, I want to be still cute, but also be able to shoot something. And I'm like, yeah, I can, I can understand that. But I don't think no matter what, I don't think she'll ever be absolutely hooked on hunting. I think she'll do it or enjoy it. She'll do it for me but other than that she's not going to just go out on her own yeah which i'm perfectly fine with my wife not wanting to do it she's perfectly fine with me leaving for as long as i do (laughs) i mean when we first met she was in dental school on two week off rotations getting on an airplane and flying up to wisconsin during my two weeks off time and then coming back yeah how we were the four years while we were dating so, I mean, nothing's really changed except now I live down here most of the time, um, which is nice to be able to come home from work rather than having to live on base. And I've got a wood shop set up in the garage so I can do that sort of stuff. Um, and I get to go home and play lumberjack and farmer and everything else. Yeah. No, that's awesome, man. To have that kind of separation, to be able to get out and do that type of stuff. Um, I just think it's needed. Well, dude, I appreciate you hopping on, man. I don't want to take up your whole day. I think we could probably talk for forever, but with us being so close, man, we're going to have to get together up in Wisconsin this fall and grab a beer or something, get out and uh, share more hunting stories, share trail camera pictures, things like that. Sounds good. Take it easy.